0: Hello, and welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Robinson. This podcast is a project of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta Laudato Si' Initiative. On this podcast, we will go on a journey to explore the role of the Catholic Church and other faiths' impact in sustainability. Experts, theologians, and thought leaders will share their opinions and perspectives as guests on the podcast. Sustainability focuses on meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. The concept of sustainability is composed of three pillars, social, environmental, and economic, also known as people, planet, and prosperity. This podcast is made possible with the generous funding and support from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal, Georgia Interfaith Power and Light, Rutherford L, Jamie Lanier, the Valdemar Family Foundation, the Sustainable Environmental Management Company, St. Francis Services, and the time, treasure, and talent from several individuals. The Faith and Sustainability podcast is coming to you from the Archdiocese of Atlanta Chancery in Smyrna, Georgia. We're blessed to have Rob McDowell, Ph.D. He is an assistant professor of geology and environmental science at Georgia State University. Formerly, he was the director of the Environmental Policy Program in the Carl Vinson Institute of Government at the University of Georgia. His academic career was preceded by 17 years in water resources management with the Georgia Environmental Protection Division. He served on the board of trustees of the Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Welcome to the Faith and Sustainability Podcast. Tell our listeners more about your background and then why water?
1: Well, um, I'm a native of Pittsburgh, uh, cradle Catholic, uh, grew up south of Pittsburgh and um, the house that I grew up in had a little creek in the front yard, a small stream, and there were trees lining it, big beautiful yard, and I think um, that's where I developed my, my love in part of the earth. And when I was in seventh grade, I was 12 years old, um, It's when I first decided I wanted to be a geologist. I don't know why. I just, I just I, We did, a, we did a, 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 a thing in science class, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with the terminology, with uh, knowing about the earth. I and mean, then I lived in this house that had a creek in the
0: front yard, so the die was cast. Okay. Geologist, you rock. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's great. That's great. Well, I also understand that you're the author of the original Archdiocese of Atlanta Laudato Sea si Action Plan. You worked with Susan Varlamov, who was on the show earlier, uh, to write the action plan. Tell me about the why and tell me about the process.
1: Susan and I go way back. We overlapped at the Department of Natural Resources while I was working at EPD. She was working in the Pollution Prevention Assistance Division. And so we'd see each other all the time, go to the same meetings, and then she left DNR and went to UGA. I left DNR and went to UGA. So we overlapped at UGA. And when Susan heard that there was going to be this encyclical on the um, on the environment, this is this is classic Susan. I love Susan. <laughs> this is this is perfect Susan. She called the Archbishop 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 Gregory and said, "I want to help the Pope write the encyclical." And he said, "Well, he has people, but you can help me." <laughs> and so um, Susan took it upon herself to assemble this team at UGA, and uh, we were all. Uh, members of the science faculty, uh, climate scientists, a soil scientist, um, an agricultural scientist, but we were also, uh, and an engineer, and we we were all people of faith. And so uh, Susan and I did the bulk of the writing for the action plan. And it was just, uh, we divided it up into the things that we, that we thought would be best. I was going to do water since I had worked in water for so long. And um, it, we, we did the usual write, rewrite, write, rewrite thing and um, submitted it, and then there was silence. I heard nothing from the archdiocese, and I thought, well, okay, this went into a black hole somewhere. And then they announced the, uh, the rollout up at UGA, and I went to this thing, and it was magnificent. It was just the, the, the production of that first exam that that first action plan was beautiful. It was just so beautiful to see and, and uh, uh, I, I was really happy to be a part of it.
0: As you were writing this action plan and putting it together what was your vision for it?
1: Well our vision was to make it um, actionable items that that people could do at home and that they could do uh, in their parish and so we broke it up into um, easy moderate and hard things to do so, for example, a hard thing, and Susan probably mentioned this, you know would be installing um, charging stations for cars. An easy thing to do would be uh, recycle, You know, turn the lights off when you leave. But we really wanted it to be um, based in Catholic teaching. We wanted it to be based in the encyclical, and then also be things that a parish and a family could actually implement and, and make the encyclical real to them.
0: What are your thoughts, this action plan it went from silent to now. It's being used as a template with with other archdioceses, and even the Pope has a copy of it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, it's it's really exciting. I mean, there was this joke in academia: publisher, parish. But I'm the only professor I know who's had something that's being read by the Pope. So. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not be good for my for my career, but no, I, I'm very proud of that. I'm, I'm I'm really honored and humbled by it. I will say though that I wish it were taken more seriously. Uh, it's taken very seriously by some, but totally understandable. It's. Uh, a lot of parishes and dioceses, this is not their main concern. They have, they have other things. They have to keep the lights on. They have to – I'm from Pittsburgh, so Bishop Zubik has had the onerous task of closing down lots of parishes. And so when you're doing that, um, an environmental action plan is almost a luxury. Um, so I, I understand in, in many in many examples where it's difficult for a parish or a diocese to focus on that. But I think it's becoming increasingly important that we all focus on this.
0: I believe so, too. And then I think one thing that we're pushing out to the parishes here is that it's not something else to do. It's an integration of what you're doing. And it can save you money on electricity, water, waste that can go into your other ministries and everything. Um, the archdiocese believes in it so much; they they funded us, you know, funded the uh, Laudato Si' action plan and the Laudato Si' initiative to go forward. Well, you know, what is what is your message to get uh, parishes and other archdioceses, you know, to to you know have something like the action plan?
1: Well, I think you touched on it. I mean, it should be an integral part of faith life, and and for me. Um, what you would call creation spirituality always has been. And uh, there's nothing separate in my mind, in the mind of other, uh, other folks. Um, there's nothing separate about caring for the earth, caring for the environment, integrating more closely with the environment, our Catholic faith, and as you pointed out, the efficient operation of a, of a parish building. Uh, it, it should be all one integral thing.
0: Well, what prepped you to help develop and write the action plan? You know, did you wake up one day and say, "I want to write an action plan," or was this a process?
1: Or? No, it was a process. Um, as, as I mentioned, uh, I've I've uh, I've been in love with the Earth from a very young age, and um, creation spirituality, seeing God, uh, seeing the, the the manifestation, what Saint Bonaventure would call the vestigia, the footprints of God in nature. I, I've that's been my spirituality for my entire adult life. And then, um, so when the encyclical came out, I was super excited. And when Susan Varlamov called me, it was a no-brainer just to jump into it. I was already doing some stuff uh, informally with the Catholic Center up at UGA when the Franciscans were there, having a couple presentations on um, Earth Day and, and creation care and things like that. So uh, oh, it was just a, it was a perfect confluence of events
0: you know what were your thoughts when we uh, revised the action plan you know we did two, part two of the action plan and we put it online
1: that was wonderful. I mean, it has, it has to be kept alive. Uh, it has to be uh, revised from time to time. Um, I, I thought that was a that was a great move. And anything we can do, uh, the, any any of your collaborators, any of the scientists who want to help you with this, the more we can keep this up to pace as uh, as our environment changes around us, uh, the the better off we'll be.
0: You know, we get a lot, and I get a lot of speaking engagements from non-faith-based organizations. One time, I stated that. Uh, Faith-based organizations are underutilized in the areas of activism, public policy, and public-private partnerships, and now the White House has responded with putting out resources for faith-based organizations for energy, for water, and everything else. So, it's it so uh, it's starting to get out there. But you know, more and more. But we want to take care of the archdiocese. When I was in business and government, I used to have to get my stakeholders to wrap their brains around sustainability. With faith-based, I've got to get my stakeholders to wrap their heart around it. You know, as, as we get away a little bit from the action plan, as a geologist and a water expert, what is your opinion about Georgia's, Georgia's water resources?
1: Well, we, we are blessed with... Um... Abundant water resources. And so when I was working for the state government, we sort of had a, um, a joke, dry humor, if you will. <laughs> the Pun <laughs> is intended. That we don't have a water supply problem in Georgia. We have a water use problem. And by that I mean the patterns of water use in Georgia can sometimes uh, strain the abundant resources that we have. But we've made a lot of progress. So just in residential water use, I think in 2000, the average per capita, per person, of water use was something like 150 gallons per person per day, and it's now hovering around 100. And in 2007 and 2008, when then Governor Perdue, we were having that very, very serious drought. Some cities like Athens were within a few weeks of losing their water supply. Um, Governor Perdue told the 61 counties of North Georgia, "You have to cut back your water percent. You have to cut back your water use by 10 percent." There was a lot of pushback to that. And um, some counties had drought proof themselves in northeastern Georgia, uh, and they were exempted from that. And I, I learned some very hard lessons when I was the ambassador saying to these communities, you've got to cut back your water. But north Georgia, Metro Atlanta cut back their water use by 20%, and we haven't gone back. So we've made a tremendous Im- Im- improvement in how Metro Atlanta uses their water, there is room for improvement in terms of outdoor water use. Because in the summer months, our water use can increase by between 40 and 50% alone, just in the summer months. And that's from watering grass and things that that need a lot of water. So we could improve that kind of water use by uh, cutting down on the amount of grass we have in our yards, planting uh, things that are native and very beautiful to a Georgia landscape. My work with the state government was mostly with agricultural water use in South Georgia. And (laughs) as time went on, as these different projects that I was working on went on, I learned more and more how efficient Georgia farmers are with water. Um, They have some of the top technology and they can't afford to waste water. I mean, they have to pay to to have it pumped for electricity or diesel, whatever. And they have gotten really, really good at conserving water, at using their water as maximum efficiency. The problem is there are a lot of farmers. They're not doing anything wrong. They have to make their crop, and they're going to make their crop in the best way they know how, and they're using the best technology available to them. There's just a lot of farmers in southwest Georgia and other areas of the state. And it's just the overall category of agricultural water use that is taxing some of our water resources in south Georgia. So it's not a water supply issue, it's a water use issue that we have in Georgia.
0: And that makes perfect sense. You know, I've, I've been out in Georgia about six or seven years in California Water movement was one of the largest uses of energy. Absolutely. You know, is that the same out here?
1: I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I do know, I, I, I show this to my classes, It's something like 19% of the energy used in California goes to just moving water from point A to point B. Getting back to uh, Governor Perdue and his order that we cut back on water use during that really severe drought, people were saying, oh, blame Georgia Power. They take so much water out of the rivers, and they do. They take a huge amount of water out of the rivers, but they put most of it back. Governor Perdue correctly said, if we have to cut back on the amount of water they're taking out of the rivers, we're going to have to cut back on power generation because these power plants are engineered to require a certain amount of water to keep them cool. If you cut back on that, you're going to have to cut back on the power. So, he said, if you want to cut back on energy use and the amount of water that they're taking, cut back on your water use, because the amount of water required, the amount of energy required to move that water from point A to point B to treat it, to pump it, that's going to be how you decrease the amount of water that georgia power may need to use
0: Well, what's going to push us forward I'm, I'm a recovering bureaucrat i used to work for oh, the, me too yeah i used to work for the california environmental protection agency do you think it's going to be regulatory or volunteer uh you know volunteer that will move us forward <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh that's a that's a great question um as a uh, as a recovering bureaucrat myself <laughs> i would say both uh i think We've come so far, and and you probably know this, we've come so far. uh, Young people today, they grow up knowing to conserve water. They grow up knowing to turn the water off when you brush your teeth, you and I. Did not grow up with that. That was a new thing. Um, I think that it's going to be both. People uh, through education, you know, telling people there's only a limited amount of water and do your best. Uh, and then the regulatory. That's had some significant impact as well because the Georgia General Assembly in 2010 they passed some water conservation bills that required new construction to have uh, low flow toilets they require individual metering on new apartments rather than just one meter for the whole building. So it's a combination of the education, the voluntary, and then the regulatory uh, authority coming in when things get really tough to, to to move that needle as we have. That drop from 150 uh, gallons per person to 100 gallons per person, that was a combination of those things.
0: I, you know, And I agree, I agree. Well, here's some, speaking of education, what should parishes, schools, and parishioners do to conserve water? Just some advice for our listeners.
1: It's, it's sort of the, the basic things. Cut back on outdoor water use. Uh, some, some parishes have a lot of, they still have a lot of outdoor high water use grass. Um, All Saints up in Dunwoody near my campus, it's heavily shaded. It's in the woods. They have no grass. It's wonderful. For the in parish stuff, it's just going to be the basic stuff. It's going to be like uh, uh, retrofitting toilets to have low flow toilets, um, uh, faucets that can be the turn off automatically or are are uh, motion operated. Just very very simple stuff like that is always going to be good
0: for conserving water. Tell me, Rob, how does your faith impact your perspective and your actions on sustainability?
1: Oh, they're interwoven for me. Uh, I, I am a devotee of creation spirituality, of of seeing God in nature, of seeing uh, the, the intimate presence of God in nature. And um, as Pope Francis said in the encyclical, you know, water, uh, the uh, forests, mountains, rivers—they are all a caress of God. And so. Um, for me, the protection of nature is is a very important part of my spirituality. It is it is blessing God. It is paying the proper respect and, and homage to his gift of creation. We are so lucky, on we, we are so blessed on this planet. Um, I'm so struck by the images coming in from the James Webb Telescope. You know, uh, and, and before that, the Hubble Telescope, sh- showing the incredible depth of, of the universe that god created so i think back to what i read about enrico fermi who in the 1950s was having lunch with some other physicists in new york city and there was talk about ufos and stuff like that and fermi said so where is everybody if the universe is so vast and it's so populated with all these advanced beings why is it so silent well, there's a whole, string of, a whole stream of thought about this, why this is the case. And it basically boils down to the fact that life like ours on this planet is incredibly rare. There's a whole bunch of things that life has to go through, uh, cataclysms that, that have to be avoided for advanced life to get to where we are now. So if God did create life on other planets, it's possible it's, it's bacteria. Well, it's very, very simple. The fact that here on earth we have evolved to be able to look back at our own origins, to be able to know God, to be able to reflect on that, that means we are in an incredibly rare and priceless spot. Treating it as such, I think, is a central part, should be a central part, of our Catholic spirituality. Seeing the incarnation of God in nature in water, in mountains, in a mushroom in your backyard. That is part of God's creation, and we should treat it as the gift that it is.
0: As we get to the end, where do you worship at?
1: Uh, The Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Fantastic parish, all are welcome. However, it's a really old building. I will say it's a really old building. So when we're talking about conserving anything, you have this historic structure, you know, which is probably a real, real challenge to, to conserve energy in. It's this huge indoor space. If You've been there. And so the newer parishes, they have all the new construction and the new installation and all these things. They probably make it much easier to really uh, worship sustainably compared to what the shrine <laughs> may or may not be able to do.
0: How about a water call to action for our listeners? You know, what kind of call to action do you have for us?
1: I would say the the most important thing that that our listeners can do is to uh, decrease their outdoor water use. Um, I mean, everyone knows you take shorter showers if you can. uh, But I would say if you really want to uh, have an impact and minimize the likelihood of there being watering restrictions – Cut back on outdoor water use. Um, uh, cut down on the amount of grass you have in your yard. Uh, put in plants that are native to Georgia that don't need a whole lot of water. This doesn't make. This doesn't mean making your lawn look like you live in Albuquerque, which is a misconception. But if you, put, if you put the beautiful plants that are native to Georgia, native to the Georgia Piedmont in your yard, it'll be spectacular. You'll have lightning bugs, you'll have bees and butterflies and stuff like that, and you'll be saving water, which means you're saving money.
0: Yeah, somebody once said the largest crop in America is grass. And we, we put pesticides on it. Yeah. We put water on it. Right. We, we're, you know, and then the the state insect is the bee. And they said, as the bees go, we go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. No bees, no humans. And then, you know, we have to, I think as Catholics, as Christians, we need to get the message out. People are, are saying, save the planet. The planet's going to be fine. It's whether we're going to... (laughs) Absolutely. We're going to make it, you know. Are we going to evolve? Are we going to go the way of the dinosaur? (laughs) Right. Right. We have to
1: decide pretty soon. Yes. We have to decide pretty soon.
0: You know, a, a sense of urgency... This is good, you know, learning more about water. How could the listeners contact you?
1: Um, they can contact me through my email, which is rmcdowell, R-M-C-D-O-W-E-L-L, at gsu.edu. Please make sure you mention this podcast in the uh, subject line because it might go to my spam folder. And when I see it there, I can I can
0: open it up. In, anything else you'd like? Before we close, anything else you'd like to bring up? Read Psalm 104. Okay. Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Pray Psalm
1: 104.
0: Pray it. Yes. Okay. That That's wisdom in itself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for all that you've done with both, both versions of the action plan. And when we get to the third one, <laughs> we I'm hope to have you. you there. I'm
1: there for you. My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: You've been listening to the Archdiocese of Atlanta Faith and Sustainability Podcast from the Chancery at the Archdiocese in beautiful Smyrna, Georgia. On behalf of those that make this podcast possible, I am your host, Leonard Robinson. Meet me next week on the corner of Faith and Sustainability. May the Lord be with you.
1: The preceding podcast is a production of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. Copyright 2023.